Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program featuring reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda. Our show is sponsored by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will talk about the Vatican II document on religious freedom. We will also hear more about the life of St. Catherine Drexel and the readings for this first Sunday of Lent. That and more on Wineskins. In our current issue today, we will hear from Father Michael Bolish. Joining me again is Father Michael Bolish, who is the Vicar for Clergy and Director of the Office of Worship for the Diocese of Youngstown. Welcome back to Wineskins. Thank you very much. You know, last time you were with us, we talked about the Advent season and Christmas season. Today, in a short time, we want to talk about the Lenten and Easter season. So tell us, in kind of a nutshell, why we celebrate Lent before Holy Week and Easter. Well, Lent is a time for us, I think, to take stock in our life, to see where we're at and, and where we're going. And the, the best way we do that is through the hallmarks of Lent, which is prayer, sacrifice, and almsgiving. And I think that's a great way for every one of us to just kind of do some self-reflection as we ready ourselves to celebrate the Feast of Easter. You know, it's interesting, as you were talking, the one thing that always comes to my mind about Lent and Easter is the length of it. You know, it's almost three months of celebration in Lent, beginning with Ash Wednesday and then concluding with Pentecost. And so the church really puts a lot of energy and celebration into what is the greatest part of our faith, which is the Lord's resurrection. Why is it important for us to begin with that solemn blessing of the ashes? Why is that so profound for us? The signing of ashes on our forehead is a reminder of who we are and where we came from. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that when we sign ashes on our forehead, we're also signing them on our heart. And Lent is a time, and that ritual is a, is a gesture that kind of reminds us that we need to continually be converted to a life of, of forgiveness, a life of sacrifice, and a life of following the gospel message. Let's talk about a Holy Week, which is really kind of the culmination of what we've done for 40 days in preparation. What is so important about Holy Week? Well, Holy Week is the kernel of our faith. It is the celebration of the Paschal mystery, the dying, the suffering, and rising of Jesus Christ. And we do that over uh, the three days of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter weekend. And so we do that in those three days. We also do it every Sunday from start to be finish at, the, at Mass. And then we also do the cycle of the life and death and resurrection of Christ throughout the entire year. So in some respects, it's a microcosm of our entire year celebration and our weekly celebration. And also coupled within that Lenten and Holy Week services is what we call the Chrism Mass. What's so special about that? Well, the Chrism Mass has as its purpose a couple focuses. The first is for ordained clergy to renew their promises and their commitment to ministry. And so that takes place usually right after the bishop's homily as priests renew their dedication to service and ministry. The second focus is also then the blessing of the oils that will be used throughout the year at various celebrations within the diocese and individual parishes. We bless the oil of the sick, those who are will be anointed with oil in that sacrament. We bless the oil of catechumens as people are welcomed 
welcomed into the faith. And then we bless the sacred chrism, which for those being anointed at confirmation and then at ordination. And then the third focus is, I think, just a renewal of the whole church, the diocesan church, to come together and renew our commitment and our dedication to the life of the church and the spirit of ministry that all the baptized share in. Let's talk about the culmination, which is at Pentecost. What is Pentecost all about? Pentecost celebrates the bestowal of the Holy Spirit upon the church, upon you and me. And it's that spirit that then enthuses us, hopefully, to live our life as believers and followers and disciples of Christ. For the folks that are with us, what is the best thing that we could do for ourselves and for one another during the Easter season? Well, I think during the Easter season is is to continue to celebrate the new life that we've been given. And that just doesn't happen on Sunday. We should not celebrate the resurrection just once a week, but that has to be every day and every moment of our lives. And the Easter season, which is 50 days long, which is longer than Lent, hopefully give us the impetus and the spirit to continue to live out our call to discipleship. What is the one thing that we as Catholics should remember and do during the Lenten season? I think we should do whatever we need to do that converts us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, whether it's one or all of these things, a spirit of prayer, a spirit of sacrifice, and a spirit of taking care of one another. Father Michael Balish, Vicar for Clergy and Director of the Office of Worship for the Diocese, thank you so much for enlightening us about the Lenten and Easter seasons, and we thank you for the fine work and ministry that you provide the Church. Thank you very much. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. The Feast of St. Catherine Drexel is celebrated on Friday. To tell us more about this holy woman is Marianne Yeager. She is from St. Christine Church in Youngstown. This Philadelphia heiress and founders of the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament for Indians and Blacks was beatified in 1988. She was the daughter of a wealthy banker and was raised by a loving stepmother since her own mother died when Catherine was still an infant. She traveled extensively and was well-educated. Her family always contributed to the missions that serve the Indians and African Americans. Catherine became involved in this apostolate, and later, when she had an audience with Pope Leo XIII, he urged her to be a missionary to those deserving people. Catherine entered the novitiate of the Sisters of Mercy in Pittsburgh, and in 1891, she founded her own religious congregation. In 1915, she established Xavier University for Black People in New Orleans. It is estimated that during her lifetime, she spent approximately $12 million on the apostolate to Indians and African Americans. Coming as she did from the highest level of Philadelphia society, Catherine's total dedication to the needs of the Indians and Blacks was made possible by her willingness to use the wealth of her inheritance for a good cause. She is an example of poverty of spirit and detachment from the goods of this world. Catherine Drexel is especially relative to contemporary American society in which unemployment, homelessness, and racial injustices are still a burden for the Native Americans and African Americans. The span of her life extended to 1955, and for that reason, 
Her example and her apostolate are especially relevant to contemporary society. Hence, the petition in the opening prayer is significant. We ask God to enable us to work for justice among the poor and the oppressed. It is noteworthy that this prayer refers to the Eucharist as the focal point of unity in the Church. The opening prayer reads, Ever-loving God, you called blessed Catherine Drexel to teach the message of the Gospel and to bring the life of the Eucharist to the African-American and Native American peoples. By her prayers and examples, enable us to work for justice among the poor and the oppressed and keep us undivided in love in the Eucharistic community of your church. St. Catherine Drexel was canonized on October 1st, 2000. Drexel's legacy lives on since she was declared a saint in the Jubilee year of 2000 by St. Pope John Paul II. At her canonization, Pope John Paul II noted that Drexel's holy life serves as a timeless reminder that no greater treasure can be found in this world than in following Christ with an undivided heart and in using generously the gifts we have received for the service of others and for the building of a more just and fraternal world. For Wineskins, I'm Marianne Yeager. Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith, celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler. The document that we will discuss today is the Declaration on Religious Freedom. This is an important document because religious freedom is crucial to the human spirit. It's not granted by governments. It's given to us by the Creator Himself. We could freely choose how to worship or not to worship the God of all things visible and invisible. And that is a momentous choice indeed. I'm wondering, this document, when it was uh, promulgated uh, 50 years ago, how important it was for us here in the United States. And, and wasn't it many bishops here in the United States that really pushed for this document on religious freedom? It was, and John Courtney Murray, a great theologian, was behind it. In Europe, there's a tortured history of church-state relations, and there would be established churches in various countries, which would be the official religions that the state would support. This came about after the Peace of Augsburg and the Treaty of Westphalia, which ended the Reformation and Counter-Reformation Wars. And the best they could come up with is whatever the religion of a ruler of an area was, that would be the official religion of the people. Well, when the United States Revolution came about, they threw that concept out. Not having any established religion is part of the very first phrase of our Bill of Rights. And the second phrase was, not to have the state interfere in any way with the exercise of any religion. Now, does that whole separation of church and state something that comes out of this document, or was that something that has its roots back much further? Well, it has its roots back much further, but it's a tortured battle of the concept. If God has revealed himself to the church, 
The state naturally should do what the church says in order to have a godly society. And out of that notion arose the notion of inquisitions in the Middle Ages, persecution and even execution of heretics. And that was a dark part of church history indeed. Even though there were like these little reservations, after the church would find somebody to be heretical, they'd say to the state, oh, please be merciful, just like our Lord and Savior was merciful. But the state knew if they didn't execute the person, they themselves might then become under suspicion. So it was a dark time in church history. But it wasn't at the heart of what the church really and truly believed. And at the heart of what the church really and truly believed is in this document, that religious faith cannot be coerced, conversions can't be forced, and shouldn't be. And how well have we exercised that religious freedom 50 years now? Well, in Europe, there's only a few states that have established religions left. Finland, I believe, uh, the Netherlands and Denmark. Argentina has established religion uh, in Catholicism. Uh, But most states have given up that established religion as part of their way of organizing society and culture. However, and there's always this big however, it's a constant need to review the subject. And in the United States today, uh, we're finding that the church isn't interfering with the life of the state, but more and more, unfortunately, the state is trying to interfere with the life of the church and violating, really, this document as well as the First Amendment. And how important is it for the church to be a vocal and to be stalwart in uh, making sure and ensuring that its religious freedom is upheld? Well, this is an important thing not only for members of the church, but for everyone that respects the First Amendment. Because if the state interferes with the life of the church, it'll also interfere with the press. It'll interfere with our right to free assembly to peacefully uh, bring our petitions before the government. And so Catholicism might be the greatest champion of freedom in the First Amendment at this particular juncture in American history. Let's talk also about uh, the role of government in this document, because obviously government is spoken of in this, Mm. this particular document. What does the church have to say about the rightful role of government in the lives of its citizens who are religious people? Well, the role of government is always to organize civil society, to pass laws, to protect individuals, to punish crime, to provide for the common defense of the nation. But the role of the government should be basically one of non-interference into the life of faith and the conscience of the individual. Now, constantly we have heard, up until most recently, separation of church and state means keep religion out of politics. But from those same people, we don't hear what is now taking place. Politics is entering directly into the life of religion. And that's dangerous for the life of the church and for America itself. And there's really a fine line sometimes that we cross, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unconsciously. How important is it for us to maintain that clear separation, not only for us in the church, but in light of this this particular document? Well, see, the church can influence people through persuasion. 
Uh, the state can influence people through the full weight of law. So there's a big difference there. So if the bishops write a letter urging the politicians to take care of the weak, the widow, the poor, the orphans, the stranger in our land, that's just persuasion. But if the state comes in, for example, and says, well, all Catholic hospitals now have to perform abortion under penalty of law, you can see how this is not persuasion. This is a rupture between the separation of church and state with the full force and power of government. I remember that, uh, of course, we recall uh, in the life of Jesus about paying taxes to the emperor. And mm. Jesus says, well, whose face is on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, then classically, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Mm. So there's that whole sense that we're really we have a dual citizenship, mm. a citizenship of this world and a citizenship of the kingdom of God. And there's, there's a fine line that separates the two, and yet remembering that we are citizens of both of these worlds and how important it is to exercise that right and healthy and in an appropriate way. How important is that for us to always remember that sense? The church, unfortunately, had about 380 years of the Spanish Inquisition. For the next 400 years, we're going to have to take this document and put it into practice, and people will then begin to trust us that we're not trying to force our beliefs on others, although we're trying to persuade people to live godly lives according to the revelations that we've received and truly believe in. Let's uh, try to end, uh, Father Jeff, with a note of uplifting of how important this document really was for us, especially here in the United States. Well, it affirmed the American approach of freedom of religion that was dominant at that time. But at this moment, we have to stand up as Americans for freedom of religion and as Catholics for freedom of conscience, which is at the heart of this particular document. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. To receive more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown at www.doy.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. The annual diocesan appeal, One in Hope, One in Mission, is the primary activity of raising funds to help the clients of Catholic Charities throughout the Diocese of Youngstown, as well as supporting the many ministries and activities of our diocesan church. This year's goal is $4 million. While that seems like a very vast amount, it is an attainable goal when everyone throughout our diocesan community recognizes the way in which God has blessed them and offers whatever resources possible coming from all of our parishes across our six counties to truly be a people of charity, a people of hope, a people of mission. I thank you for your gift to the annual appeal, and I hope that together we might all continue to be one in hope and one in mission, building up the life of the church and building up the presence of Christ for all in need. God bless you. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Our song today is by the Daughters of St. Paul. It is from their CD entitled, Fill the Heavens.
Our scripture reflections for this first Sunday of Lent will be by Father Ryan Furlong. He is pastor of St. Thomas the Apostle Church in Vienna. Why did Jesus choose a desert, a place of loneliness, a place that is barren, to pray and to fast? Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us in their gospel accounts that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Mark states that most emphatically when he says the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Why did Jesus want to seek solitude away from his family and friends for such a long time? Was it simply a test to prepare him for his mission? Or did Satan want to lure him into a trap? The temptation, an English word, usually means to entice someone to do what is wrong or forbidden. The scriptural word used here also means test in the sense of proving and assessing someone to see if they are prepared and ready for the task at hand. We test many people in many different conditions and situations 
to see if they have what it takes to fulfill their obligation. There are many tests in our lives that we must face. Spiritually, these tests are our crosses and our temptations. But Jesus has walked before us. Jesus faced all the temptations that we face. He is like us in all things but sin. He knows what we are going through. He knows what is before us because he has walked in our footsteps and we in his. When we unite our sufferings and tribulations to Christ, when we trust that everything that comes our way is for the greater glory of God, it will help us handle the temptations and the struggle. And with God's help, with perseverance, with prayer, and with total reliance on God, we can face any situation, no matter how barren, how desolate, because God has won the victory for us, and God is protecting us. And as he says at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he is with us always, even until the end of the age. For Wineskins, I'm Father Ryan Furlong. The Gospel reminds us that evil is an illusion. It calls us not to feed our temptations and to turn to God for protection. Let us do that throughout this holy season of Lent. Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda, wishing you a blessed Sunday, a safe week, and a blessed Lenten season. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity. But for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.